Welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning, July the 2nd, day of the semifinal between the U.S. Women's National Team and England. Big day, big match. Um... USA France was a huge, huge number uh, around the world and here in the U.S. Uh, I, I think today's match will be equally as large, possibly even larger. Um, and that really kind of goes to to the point that I want to get to here at the top of the show. the The U.S. Women's National Team is in a fight for equal treatment from the Federation. And uh, they they have a deal that is uh, less than fair and and equal to the men their male count counterparts. Setting aside on field success for a moment, if we're just talking about how they're treated, it's it's an issue. But when you take into account the fact that you have a women's program that is the gold standard of the world has won the world cup three times on a quest for a fourth consistently being a powerhouse. And then you look at the men's national team struggles to get out of the group struggles the other night against Curacao Struggles to beat Trinidad and Tobago and even qualify for the World Cup back in 2017. When you look at the results on the field, it makes it makes this comparison even more obvious, even more glaring, even more of an issue. There are many who think that that because of the success of the U.S. Women's National Team that they should get paid more. I don't think they should get paid more. I think they should have the opportunity, like the men, to earn more. And by that, I mean, if they had the same deal as their male counterparts, where they got bonuses for for each round that they progress and the bonuses were of the same scale... Then in the end, based on their merit, the, the, the women's national team's own merit, they would earn more. So I'm, I'm not in favor of actually paying them unequally, more or less. I, I do believe in, in giving them, though, the, the level playing field, the equal opportunity to earn more. By giving them the same treatment as the men... But then in that treatment comes the opportunity to earn more than their male counterparts in terms of how many jerseys are they selling? How many, how many tickets are being sold at women's national team matches versus men's national team matches? How, how, how many uh, victories are they earning in a tournament? What are those victories worth? Are they the same amount as their male counterparts? If we get to that place where we have equal treatment, meaning accommodations, travel, bonuses, and, and the opportunities are equal, it's a level playing field, then at that point, 
because of the success of the women's national team and the 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 failures in the mediocrity of the men's national team our women's national team players would be in fact earning more while receiving the same opportunities as the men and getting equal treatment when it comes to their travel and their accommodations that is the place where i think we should get to that is a place that i think every player should want just give me a chance give me the same opportunity and if i make something of it let me let me enjoy the spoils let me enjoy the fruits of my labor if i beat france and i advance let me earn that bonus the same bonus that my male counterparts earn. We should be setting the standard for the globe, for the entire world. For all this country was founded on, all this country is supposed to stand for. For all that our country is when it comes to our women's program, we should be utilizing that platform to set an example for the world. To be a light for the world. To be an example of how, how to treat our men's and women's programs, our players, our staffs. Our women's national team are incredible. We have the deepest roster in this World Cup. I don't know that we have a, not the, just the first, but also the second best team in the world in terms of the, the depth of roster. I don't know that that's true. That could be hyperbole. I do know this, that no other country in the world at this World Cup has the depth of our roster. We have talent. We have really good players. My criticism so far of the women's national team, it has very little to do with with our players. My critique has been about some tactics, the coaching, and I feel like I feel like we could do better. I feel like I feel like our players should get better coaching. That that if they were actually working in a, in a higher level tactical plan, I think that they would be unstoppable. They're already so good as individual players that they may win the World Cup again. But I don't feel like we're winning the World Cup because we're a team tactically. They are a, they are a close team. You can tell that these these players root for each other. You can tell there's a good camaraderie, a good team spirit, and that's important in the locker room and on the bench. You can see that. You can you can see that in interviews. You can see that in the way that they treat each other. You can see that. It's evident. But what we also need is, is, is systematically on the field, do they always play as a team? Or is it about individual performances? I, I don't think we've excelled in that area. And so if I'm if I'm a leader, I'm always trying to figure out how can I get better? 
How can I take what I'm doing and make it more excellent? How can I raise the bar even higher? And that's an area where I think that we can get a lot better. That if, if, if we start to execute a tactical system in the same way that Spain is implementing a tactical system or the Netherlands are executing a tactical system, England executing a tactical system, if we begin to execute tactically at that level, then, then I think we're unstoppable for a while. That's that to me is is our is a, is a potential issue for us, and it could be an issue today. We'll see. I, I still think that this game is much like in uh, USA and, and France on on Friday. If if the French score first on Friday, I I thought they would go on to win. If the U.S. scored early, I thought the U.S. would go on to win. And I feel that way today. I feel like if if England goes on to score early, I think they can go on to win. If the U.S. scores early, I think the U.S. is going to put in a performance of effort, but it's not necessarily going to be pretty, and, and I think that they're going to have an opportunity to go on and win. It plays into the way that they want to play. They're probably the best front-running team in soccer today, this U.S. women's national team. They're that good dealing with expectations, getting out ahead, and staying out ahead. That is the race that they want to run. If you look at this from a racing perspective, some runners like to let the pack kind of go out and set the pace, and they just kind of wait and and wait for their moment and then they go and strike some runners like to get out from the beginning and lead the pack and just make you chase and they want to wear you down and then they pull away and the u.s women's national team is like that second runner they like to get out they like to push they like to come at you and when they get out ahead and they push ahead and they they get a lead they want to to force you to feel the pressure, to feel the tension, to feel desperate. And then they look for the second, and then the third, and then the fourth, etc. They're very much that second runner. They're not somebody that wants to sit back and wait. They want to come at you. So when we when we look at how our uh, our team is going to line up today, the U.S. Women's National Team. My hope is that we see a Lindsey Horan in the midfield, that we see Julie Ertz either on the bench or in, as a center back, and gives, that to me, gives with Lavelle and and um, Mewis and, and Horan, those three, I think, are our best midfield to keep possession and, and calm the game down. If we need a destroyer, if we need someone who's going to come in and try to break up play, um, obviously that's a role that Julie Ertz can excel at. I think against England, we're going to need to try to keep the ball in the attack. And to do that, I think Haran and Mewis and Lavelle need to be the three in the midfield. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens when the lineups come out. 
Uh, only time will tell. I don't know. But in terms of our women's national team and our men's national team, equal treatment would mean that they would get better pay in the end because they would be earning more bonuses. And quite frankly, they've earned it. That should be how it works. That's what merit is. We always talk about merit in relation to promotion and relegation, but merit also plays out in the way that we handle players. And in this case, it's how we handle our men's and men's and women's national teams. Merit should be the determining factor. What these players do today, what they've done so far, and what they will do in the future on the field should determine how much they're earning, not because they're male or female. Our sponsor this half hour is Dut Kick Brand. They uh, are the maker of really, really cool soccer products, including uh, planners, notebooks. Uh, if you are if you are a coach or a goalkeeper, goalkeeping coach, a player, you should you should check them out. They have they have some really cool things you're not going to find anywhere else. Dutkickbrand.com. D-U-T-K-I-G brand.com. Use promo code DWSHOW. You will get 10% off your order. Again, that is DWSHOW. You'll get 10% off your order at DuttKickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this with Sarah Loudon. the show thanks for tuning in this tuesday morning july the second the day of a big big semifinal tonight between england and the u.s and we are pleased to be joined by sarah loudon she is the equipment manager at the university of florida sarah welcome to the show and thanks for coming on this morning daniel thanks for having us so uh, give us a little bit of, of your background in history. Like, you know, obviously growing up in the UK, uh, football's all around. At what point did that grab a hold of you and, and you decide, hey, I, I want to I wanna 
stay in the game, stay involved in the game, um, you know, uh, going forward, not just something I'm going to play here or there, that, that I want to make it a big part of my life. So, you know, I grew up in Newcastle, England. If you think about Newcastle, it's known for its beer, it's night on the football. So, basically, reared or dragged around the game of football. Um, St. James Park, when Newcastle United play, was our church as kids. Um, so for me, it was just a natural progression to, after I finished playing, to go into coaching. So, I didn't. I feel like I didn't have a choice. And to be honest, I really don't know what I would be doing right now if I wasn't coaching. What? We saw uh, recent news, Rafa Benitez leaving Newcastle. Um, as a as a, as a someone who grew up in Newcastle, uh, was Newcastle United like your club? Is that the club you support? Yeah, the club chose me. When you're when you're from Newcastle, the club chose, club chose you. And um, I'm a diehard Newcastle fan. When I go home at Christmas, I go to all the games that are the home games. Um, that I can get to um, this year. I, went to, I think I went to Fulham, Wolves, and Manchester United. All the games that I can. You know, I remember as a kid, this game was an FA Cup replay against Stevenage uh, back in 1997. And I remember um, Shearer scored the dying goal, and my uncle picked me up. Uh, behind the goal, I took my shoe off, uh, just among the chaos of all the Geordies. So that's my earliest memory of football, and stuck with us ever since. So um, it, it, it grabs a hold of you. It's, it's part of the fabric of who you are and what uh, you, know, you want to do, the, the passion that's inside of you. How did you get from there? Tell us about your story of going from growing up in Newcastle, growing up a Newcastle United supporter, and now you are the equipment manager at the University of Florida. Give us the kind of... Uh, the the connection of dots between Newcastle and where you are today with the uh, the University of Florida. Okay, so I'll give you the snapshot. So um, grew in Newcastle, like I said, and then I came over to America on a scholarship when I was eighteen. Um, that at the time it was really hard to get. Um, YouTube was just kind of putting yourself on YouTube was kind of not a. I was kind of sending DVDs out to universities. So I worked at a shoe shop. I uh, worked in retail from the age of 15. And I worked around 20 an hour, which is... So I did that. And then um, I basically would send my DVDs over to US uh, of me playing. And I ended up getting over to Mississippi University, which is obviously in the SEC where Florida is right now. Um, didn't really work out. I wasn't really... Uh, just my speed of play, I wasn't good enough at that level uh, at that time. So I transferred to a smaller Division One school in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, good fit for me, uh, small Division One school. So I got the best of both worlds. I got a big Division One school and I got a small Division One school, which I think uh, has helped me as a coach as I recruit. Um, then basically after that, I got my first job in Green at a school in West Texas. And if you know anything about being in international, it's really, really hard to stay in this country. So the only school that I would really have is, to be honest, um, took that job, flew myself out of view, paid for it out of my own pocket, uh, got the job, stayed there for months, did a little bit of teaching while I was there. Um, and then I gave that up and went to work with the Houston Dash as a volunteer. So that was the first sacrifice I kind of made earlier in my career. And it was fortunate because at the time, 
2015, the women's national team had uh, won the World and the player that scored the hat-trick in the World Cup, Collie Lloyd, in the final, um, she played for Houston. So I might be around Houston at a really great time and I managed to take all that in and work with some topless. After that, I got a job at Sam Houston University, which is a Division One school in Texas. I was there for two years. Had a great time, learned a lot. Uh, and while doing that, was also ban- uh, balancing the dash. And kind of felt like I had learned everything that I could learn from both programs and kind of felt as though I was getting a little bit stale. So um, I've been following Florida for a long time. Um, Florida was a dream school for me. And again, I knew I wasn't good enough to put it there. But um, I follow Becky Burley, who's the head coach there, and I managed to get to an event that she was in. I basically just asked, you know, hey, I would love to work in any capacity, whether that's, you know, working in a cafeteria, working as a janitor and volunteering with a team, I'll do anything and kind of laugh about it now. I was really willing to do that. And um, what I wanted to get in was to be an equipment manager. So that's what I'm doing. I manage all the equipment um, and I'm learning from some of the best coaches in the nation. And I've been there for two years. So before we before we go on, I, I want to first off um, in today's uh, age of instant success, and I gotta have it now. Um, commend you on your hustle. Um, I don't know if you if you follow Gary Vaynerchuk at all, who's a, a business uh, author, business owner, entrepreneur. Um, but he's always talking about the hustle and being willing to, to make the sacrifices. Um, and in you've, you've obviously been willing to do that, uh, and to chase a dream to, to get better, to, um, um, to educate yourself and, and, and chase opportunities. And, uh, so first off, uh, I commend you for that. Um, I, have, I had, had in multiple times in my life those those experiences i i remember um <clears throat> coming out of college i wanted to work at a recording studio and this is you know back around the time where recording studios at, at, at that time were still a viable business unto themselves you you couldn't just go and record an album in your bedroom like you can today the technology just wasn't there and um so i i really wanted that and i did like you i i chose a a hustle path that was my only way in the door and um it paid off and um and it's opened up so many doors since um in in and so i i understand the the path that you're on there um and so i just i don't want to gloss over that I, i think for a lot of players a lot of coaches a lot of families um we we want things handed to us um, without a lot of friction, without a lot of hustle. And sometimes to get what we really, really want, we've got to be willing to make uh, a sacrifice and, and, and a hustle and, uh, and be willing to, uh, to, to stretch ourselves in order to, to chase our dreams. And uh, so I think that's really cool that you have done that and, and have, have done that on multiple occasions yourself. Um, in in your journey towards you know uh, becoming a better coach and wanting to get into coaching, um, what are your long term aspirations? What are you what are you ultimately trying to do, uh, and, and and why is learning um, at the University of Florida a, a big part of that idea? 
Well, first of all, I think if you start playing football, you get left behind. So for me, uh, you know, my long-term goals, I would always have these long-term goals. And as I've got older, I've realized, like, path is not, it's not the, the path that I've deviated on completely different for what I would have acted 19 years ago. And I've dedicated my entire 20s to the craft. Um, if I could say what I would like, I eventually would like to manage my own program one day. I don't know whether that would be in the US or in a different country, but I would like to be a head coach one day. I'm really sure I'm taking it day by day. Um, right now, I enjoy the role that I'm in, funnily enough. Um, the role where you serve others, and I really enjoy that. And I think that's not only made me a better coach, it's made me a better person. And that's what... Um, University of Florida Women's Soccer stands for. That's what our culture is. It's, it's personal to play and developing people and well-rounded citizens. Speaking of the University of Florida, what about that program has set it up to be such a high standard and have so much success compared to others um, in, in college soccer? Oh, there's so many things I could talk about. Um, I think, again, just touching on the the person of a player approach, um, you know, that's players reaching their potential. And Becky does a great job at allowing um, people to be themselves within the program. And that's not just players, that's staff as well. I think it's a relational environment. So she's a transformational coach and all the coaches there are with Alan Vick too. Um, and the staff has been there together for, I think Alan's been there, might be entering in his 16th year, and then Becky and Vic have been together for, this will be their 24th year, 25th year maybe even. And they've just evolved as the program has, has gone on. You know, we have, every, I've been there two years, and every year is different. No year is the same, and they adapt to the, the players and the generations that are through. For example, you know, this year, or this spring, uh, we did something where our team struggled last season. We had a rough year. It was the first losing season in program history. We never lost the locker room. Um, and that says a lot about our culture, right? When we lose and when we would keep our culture. And just different things, like our players were struggling conflict. So we would do thing, a little program called Tell the Truth Chase, where, you know, players and staff would have to meet. And, you know, you'd have to give some hard truth and have some conversations. And then on Wednesdays, we would do real-world Wednesdays where the players, we would not train and we would basically have a practical environment. The player would learn how to change a scooter tire because all our players drive mopeds. Um, or we would have how to change oil in your car or a mental health or how to clean. You know, just little life skills that players can take them all use while they're in college. So learning at a program like that, that is, is, you know, aspiring for excellence, aspiring for greatness, how does that affect the staff and the players when there is that level of expectation and, and desire in terms of aspiring for excellence? Well, it, you know, it's effective. I think it's pressure. Especially when you're a Florida and you've won, they've won for years and years. I think there does come expectations to from previous groups and players that play for that program. But I think Becky and staff do a good job at uh, managing those expectations. Um, for example, like you know, everyone's opinion matters on them. So from if you're player number one on the roster, player number twenty-five, like you know, there's a fight there against group things. And she makes sure that everybody everybody else is heard. Um, but I think, again, I think that comes back to the staff. Those expectations are managed. And 
like I said last year, we had a good season, but we never lost our locker room. Um, we did a great job at making sure that everybody stayed safe. And that's our environment. We have different little pieces. For example, we have no BCD, which is no blaming, uh, complaining, or defending. Um, so that's something that we don't allow in our program. So just little things like that. Now, your your search or your quest for um, education and getting better and learning the game and studying the game and becoming a you know a, a practitioner and clinician with the game and, and and really getting a grasp on uh, the game itself. In terms of a philosophy. Have you been able to shape a personal philosophy that you like in terms of the way that you want to play uh, in, in, a, in a, a philosophy of how you want it to, to develop a team uh, on the field as well as off the field? Um, I think so. I think, um, you know, I just got back from the USA license and that's part of one of our assignments, actually. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I've fully came up with what that playing philosophy or um, coaching philosophy is, I think it's always always constantly evolving and adapting. I think I have things on paper that I like, things in Florida that I definitely want to take with me, um, and also things that I would probably change. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing for me in my coaching statement, I think, would just be to empower by the next generation. Um, for me, especially in you know, especially now with females. Um, and just promoting things, personal growth and embracing uniqueness. And again, I would like to take on the coach and the person rather than the player and hopefully develop the champions just by using soccer as a form. Uh, really just to graduate well with citizens are going to go on to be productive. Like I said, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is um, the person is who you are and the player is just a part of who you are and separate identity and trying to explain that to athletes. So, in your uh, travels back and forth, and your your learning the game and, and hustling to to get that education, get that experience to to you know find uh, ways to to gain experience uh, and help you for the future. Um, at the same time, um, you know it, it's been not just a, a personal thing where you're going and you're trying to pick that up. You you know. You have a marriage, you're apart, uh, and 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 you're having to manage that as well. What kind of effect has that had on 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 your ability to chase your dreams and 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 be able to kind of do the go going back and and forth and 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 chase that that uh, experience that you crave. You know, in the beginning when I moved to Florida, it was really difficult. I had a really hard time adjusting. Um, but with anything, like I knew it took time, and who proved me was going to have to follow me. There. <laughs> uh, we always joke about that. Um, no, it is difficult, it is, especially when you get older as well. Because you know, I'm nearly and I would like to settle down and eventually be in one place and not be driving eleven hours across I-10 every couple of months. Um, feel like I'm in the car more than I'm actually anywhere else. But um, you know, I think my again. I think I'm just used to it. I don't know different. It's just the way I am and it's, it's ingrained in me and I can't sit still for very long. So um, I've seen opportunities where if I, you know, if I wasn't happy, there's opportunities for me to always come back. My family always tell me that too, you know, like I can always go back to England. I can always go back to, 
you know, being in one spot and, you know, being settled down. But, you know, is that really I want it right now? And I think eventually I will want that. But um, right now I'm kind of chasing the dream, like you said, and um, just trying to where it takes me while I'm young. So is your is your husband uh, from the U.S. or is he, you know, from uh, England, any other place? Where Where is he from? American. American, yes. So um, how does he feel about uh, spending some time over in Europe? Uh, we've done we've done a few trips over Europe. Um, you know, it's always fun to get to spend time with, especially time with my family. Um, I mean, actually, always come over here as well every summer. So we get the best of both worlds where we get an American holiday and an English holiday, so that's always fun. Speaking of England and America. Um, in 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 talking about your husband and your family, we have a big match today: uh, England versus the U.S. Um, I I, I want to get into this game, and I want to talk about all kinds of aspects of this. But I, I first want to talk about some macro aspects of English women's soccer and uh, American uh, women's soccer on the England side of the ledger. Uh, what have you seen in the last uh, few years uh, in terms of progress and growth in the women's game in England? Well, I think we're seeing more clubs in, into the game. We've got Manchester City, which is force. Um, you've got Liverpool. You've got Chelsea. You've got Arsenal, who've been around for a while. So just the instrument into the game, Manchester United, so you've just got a team. Um, if you look into Europe, you've just seen that Real Madrid are just starting a team in 2020. So just that teams are now starting to invest in the women's game is a big thing. I think that the women did so well in the last World Cup. They made the semi um I'm talking about England, obviously, and I had no expectation really how it is an expectation. Uh, so well, just the fact that the whole of England, uh, you know, the England team's talking about how they're in this but France, I'm kind of following them following them on Twitter and they talk about how they're in bubble and they don't realise the influence that they're having on, you know, the country and it's just the, it's crazy how um how into how much grown over the last few years where England are like all, the whole of England is rooting like all uh like Alan Shearer also just for some of the players and, you know, Beckham's over there and Ian Wright, everyone's into it. The more that we can promote on social media the better. So comparing that to to your experiences, you come over to the to the U.S. for college, and you've stuck around, and you, you are you have been in and around the the women's professional game, some of these women's national team players. Uh, your work now at, at Florida. Um, what have you experienced and and learned uh, from the U.S. women's national team in in the program and the game, the women's game here in America? Well, I just think college game is what helps America. I think, you know, you've got these top facilities, like where I am right now at the university, the resources that we have, the resources that other programs have. And, you know, we don't have that in England, obviously, but I think that's something that sets for you at heart is you get four years to basically study for a degree and four years to play at a, at a very high level. So, um, you know, my time in Houston was also a great experience for me. Probably didn't deserve to be on the, on the field with, you know, those types of players at 25 years old. Um, again, whatever it took to pick up cones and be around those types of players and coaches, I was ready to do it. So looking at 
at today's match, um, big match, semifinal, England, U.S., where have England been at their strongest? What part of the game have, have they have they really excelled at that you've seen so far? Well, you just look at Ellen White and look at her in form she is. She just scored. Every time she gets the ball, she looks like she's going to score. So just the fact of Ruthless England in the final third. In, in terms of weaknesses or potential... Um, issues that you see for this uh, English side, what would they be and uh, what what concerns would you have uh, with them facing up against this U.S. women's national team? Honestly, I think England are really hard to break down. So I think uh, I think the thing for England is, is that now, I was just talking to somebody about this this morning, like England are due a big win and they will win over the U.S. if you look at all the previous results. So um, I don't really think England are the... I don't know. Like it's it's a difficult question. I think that I'm really intrigued to watch the matchup between Lucy Bronze and Megan Rapinoe because obviously Lucy, you know, she's a right back, but she occupies the right field. And I'm interested to see because obviously she likes to get forward. I'm interested to see her matchup against Rapinoe because Rapinoe obviously didn't necessarily always come back then. So it should be a little bit of an instant cat and mouse game um, between those two. And I'm just interested in the other 1v1 maybe against Nikki Harris if she starts against Crystal Dunn. Um, but I think it makes that on the 1v1 battle. The, the English team has uh, been steadily growing and, and rising in stature, popularity there in England, uh, obviously quality on the field as well. Um, and in terms of success... Is is this good enough uh, if they go out today against the U.S. Women's National Team? Is the country going to be satisfied that that was good enough? Or is the country expecting more from this uh, English side uh, in this World Cup? Well, I think England will be disappointed if they don't make the final. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, I think Phil Neville has already stated in his interviews that, you know, nothing's good enough unless you make it to the World Cup final. And I think the country will be proud of them. I mean, at the end of the day, like, they went there and they've, you know, they've done everybody proud. I don't think it'll ever be a disappointment to the country, but I think for Eng- the England camp, I think it would be a disappointment. But, you know, it's a tough one for me, because Holland, because, you know, a lot of those England players actually are from the east of England. Um, so I, I'm for them, for sure. And then for me, obviously, I, I make my living in the U.S. So And I've worked with a few of those players on that side. So for me, it's, it's lose or a win-win. You can look at the But I'm really hoping for a good game and hoping the best team wins. Speaking of the, the U.S. side of the ledger, uh, obviously they've been getting the results. Um, and... and not always, in my view, uh, fantastic fashion, but they've been getting the results, which in a tournament, and especially now in the knockout phases of the tournament, that, uh, that's what matters more than anything. What have you seen the U.S. do well so far in this World Cup as you've watched uh, some of their matches? Well, they're from three. They're probably the best in the world. Um, and then... You know, the depth in their squad is the first thing for the U.S. They've got so much depth. I mean, you look at there's that come off the bench for them. I mean, you bring on Lindsay Horan, which is insane, you know. Um, I, again, I think it goes back to the depth. And they expect to win. Um, 
that's the thing about it. And that's the thing I think England are trying to, to get to that where, you know, there's there's always a target on your back. In in terms of uh, weak spots or areas that you think that uh, uh, Phil Neville and his coaching staff will look to exploit, have you seen anything that stood out to you that if if you were the coach of the English uh, side that you would be going, okay, hey, we want to go uh, at the the U.S. women's national team in this area of the field or this player or we feel like this is a good matchup for us or a, a good spot on the field for us, etc. Have you identified or seen anything uh, from the U.S. side that would uh, be a place that you would look to exploit if you were Phil Neville and his staff? Well, uh, I think I would, I would I would say that I would have had to go there first, but after watching Crystal Dunnigan, you know, honey, I don't know if that's really, you know, a weakness of that's <laughs> because Crystal Dunham, one of the games of her life. Um, but for me, I think, again, to go back to that matchup with Ellen White and between the two sacks. Um, and, you know, their they're goalkeeper, she's not Hope Solo. Um, so, you know, that's kind of stuff for the US as well, I think. So for me, it would just be when you get it, can you have a go? See what happens. Well, you know, if you don't if you don't see what happens and you don't have a go, you're never going to find out, right? <laughs> so exactly. I mean, I think we're I think we're seeing more and more teams, you know, go after the U.S. and not just sitting back and and you know breaking on the counter attack. So I'll be in- interested to see how Phil Neville ends up and whether they cover it or whether they sit back. And I'm assuming they're go for it. So their chances again. Right. So these two teams faced off in a, I believe it was a 2-2 draw in the She Believes Cup um, a little while back. Uh, do you think that uh, there were any lessons learned or is this just kind of throw that game out? This is a whole new animal. What, what do you think uh, from that match to this one uh, in terms of, of lessons learned for both sides? Well, I think in that game, I think if you remember, there's uh, their centre-back step out and scored free kick inside their box. And so, I mean, you know, I think they played really well in that game. I think the biggest thing for England that they're they're going to have their key players for me, you know, Steph Horton, Lucy Bronze. Um, you know, I think Steph is, you know, she's an experienced team leader. She's physically and mentally strong. She likes a long ball over the top and she's accurate with that. Um, but England can also build out. She's a no-nonsense member. Um, and then, again, going back to Lucy Brands, I think she's versatile, she's physical, she has aerial ability, and she's arguably one of the best defenders in the world. And like I said, she doesn't just actually occupies the right flank. So, um, again, for the U.S., I think they'll probably be disappointed, Ty, because they lost the sheep. And anything for the U.S. But a win is not right. So, um, I think the U.S. will be paying for blood, and I think England will fancy their chances against them just because of previous results. Like I said, I think they're due a win over the U.S. When when I was looking at this USA France uh, quarterfinal um, and and kind of seeing which way this thing might go, I, I kept talking to people and they kept saying, you know, uh, I give France the edge in that match. The one caveat I had for that match was that I felt if the U.S. scored in the first, you know, say ten fifteen minutes of the match, uh, that that would not bode well for France for whatever reason. I just felt like it would allow the U S 
to to not have to feel any pressure and therefore um you know what i have have seen as kind of a a, a lack of ability at at times to kind of just stay calm and, and keep possession. Um, they, it's been very much uh, kind of a, you know, heavy metal style of, of attacking football. It's like, get the ball and go, get the ball and go. Um, and, and I felt like they were able to kind of sit back on France and absorb some pressure for, for most of that match. Um, and, and France, you know, just seemed a little bit rattled after that early you know what I thought was a self-inflicted mistake in the way that they set up the wall and and uh, and, and and defended that free kick that that uh, Rapino converted for the one nil uh, uh, lead uh, on on the uh, Friday match uh, quarterfinal between France and the U.S. When you look at this this match today with England and the U.S. Uh, do you feel like England would get rattled if the U.S. scored in the first 10 to 15 minutes? Do you think it's as equally important, or do you think that um, they ha- they that they will be prepared to handle that kind of adversity if the U.S. is able to get an early goal? Uh, I, I think it will be a little. I think it will. Uh, I think it's going to spark probably a bit of uh, spark them to play. You know, even more at the end of the day, you're in a World Cup semi-final. It's, it's you win or you bust. So I think they're under Phil Neville. Obviously, I, you know, I don't really know how Phil Neville coaches, but from what, I, what I've read and what I've heard, um, I think they'll be very, you know, he'll put them in situations where they're dealing with um, the U.S. What I'm interested in is if the U.S. go down. Because, you know, I don't think, have they been down this since? And have they come back to win? I'm not really sure. I don't really, I don't really know if they're used to it. So I'm, in this moment, so I'm, I'm I'm interested to see if if the goes down to flip that and see how they react. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, the you know so far this World Cup, uh, they've either been level or ahead. Uh, they've not trailed in any of these matches, and uh, and and so I, I would be curious to see how they handle um, going down to England and have to chase the game. Uh, and and are they are they ready for that? The the one thing I see in this U.S. team is they are probably the best front running team I have seen in a while, men or women. Uh, yeah, they 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 are really really good at being the bully, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way at all. I mean like they play that part of front runner. I'm the I'm you know I'm I'm the 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 big personality here the big man on campus the big dog whatever kind of you know descriptive phrase you want to use for being the the you know the the top person or top of the heap or whatever um, you know looking at this U.S. Women's National Team they they handle that part which is very difficult to do to 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 be. Um, the the one that everyone is coming for and you continually um you know are are rising to that challenge and and being a great front runner on the flip side i am curious if they have to chase a game uh what what that does to this u.s team um you know in in terms of are they able to to get on the ball and keep it long enough um, without conceding possession, which to me I've seen 
too often in this World Cup from them uh, where they could have made their, their own lives a lot easier if they would have kept better possession of the ball. Um, and so I, I would be curious to see how that plays out uh, today if, if England are able to get up a goal um, you know, early on to see how the U.S. handles it. Yeah, especially if it's, uh, like you said, if it's an early goal or to see what the tactics mean, if it's an early goal or what danger, whether it's a late goal, how they would adjust. Like you said, I think it'd be, I think it'd be really interesting. But, you know, again, I'm sure, you know, Jill Ellis has recreated those moments in practice where they are down goals and they have to crack in. Uh, they have certain time or whatever, whatever those situations that occur in practice. I'm sure they're ready for that. What are you looking? You you know some of these players on the U.S. Women's National Team, and you've been around them. What makes their mental makeup so strong that they are able to handle that pressure and rise to the challenge so consistently? Especially compared to their counterparts without women uh, throughout women's soccer. Well, they're just you know the the team. They're just so confident in those abilities. Um, I think as well, like when you have a dog on your back, you see that pressure. Um, that, you know, they're, they're used to always being under the spotlight and always face the scrutiny. And, you know, I was around, you know, a few of the players, like you said, and just the dressing room presence that they have too. Um, just some of those players that are fortunate to be around, just the presence that they have in the locker room, the presence they have in the field. Um, it's just, again, it's the American way, isn't it? It is uh, at times for sure, um, and in this in this case, uh, definitely so. I think that um, you know the uh, the team, the collection of talent in these players are um, they're just top notch, and uh, you know I don't I don't I don't know that you can find a deeper roster. And it seems that 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 competition within the squad is just, you know, making all of their individual performances even better. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's tough to come up against. And I think that's what we saw with France in the quarterfinal, um, this past Friday. Um, and, and it would be interesting, interesting to see how England handles it today in the semifinal, uh, that, that, collection of names coming at you and you know that that is their MO. That's what this U.S. Women's National Team wants to do is they want to come at you and keep coming at you uh, as much as possible. We saw it with with Thailand uh, which was a completely inferior opponent and uh, the U.S. were were the exact opposite. I mean you couldn't have picked a, a worse uh, pairing for the for the World Cup in terms of uh, a team that uh, has all of the strengths in this column and the weaknesses of a team in the other column uh, to match up against. And in in the U.S. just were relentless and uh, in that pursuit of, of goals and and uh, and I, and that's just part of their their DNA and how they're they're made up. They how they want to keep coming at you. They want to keep pressing for an, for the next goal um, and, and, and try to, you know, beat you down, I guess, in a, in a way, uh, not in a bad sportsmanship way, but just in a way where they're just, they're never satisfied. They want to keep coming. And it, I'm curious to see how England handles that. 
pressure uh, from them and 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 vice versa if England's able to um, you know get a, a goal especially early on how the these uh, US women's national team players handle that adversity um, in today's match as well uh, w- w- it will be fascinating to see so I'm gonna put you on the spot um, before we move on oh prediction time your uh your husband's american you're english you work in america you grew up in england what's your prediction for the game today uh england versus the u.s in this semifinal? well i've got to go with england haven't i um oh i've got to go with england i think would you a big win Uh, i'm gonna say do you want me to give you the score line yeah give me a score Ooh, um, England 2-1. What's your prediction? My prediction. I'm going to, I'm going to make the same prediction I made against France. I think England wins if they score first. If the, if the U S scores first, I think the U S wins. And the main reason the main reason why I think that against this team, this US team, is just the way that they're made up. If they get that first, I think it allows them to cover up their weakness. And their weakness is, uh, for me, the way I see it, is organization in, in terms of positional play to, to keep possession. They there's too often with this amount of talent that they are ceding possession uh, carelessly to me in, the, in what I see. Um, and so I, I think that when they get to score early, like when they scored against France, they could sit back more and absorb and not even have to be concerned with keeping the ball. They could play counterattack and, and when they get the ball, just go quick. And they, and they really enjoy that part of the game. And you can tell that they love that part of the game. Get the ball out to Alex Morgan or Rapino or Heath and let's go attack, 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 attack. Um, if, if England scores first, then I think that that's going to draw them out, make them chase the game more. And, and then I think in that context, I think the U.S. is vulnerable in the back if they have to come out and they have to be the ones that have to stay on the front foot. Not because they because uh, uh, of like the Thailand game where they could just kind of do whatever they wanted, but because they're having to chase the game. And I think that they, that that they're going to expose themselves. And and part of that's going to depend too on the lineup that we see today. Um, You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Lindsay Horan in the midfield. And if she's on the bench to start this match and England scores early, I think that could be major trouble for the U.S. because Lindsey Horan in that midfield settles the game down uh, for me, um, you know, much better than Julie Ertz at, at a six. Julie Ertz is, is, is great at breaking up play, being a destroyer, kind of working her way around the field and a lot of energy there. I just like the composure of Lindsey Horan. And, and we even saw that when she came in against France. Instantly, the midfield started to kind of settle down. They they actually got on the ball a little bit there uh, in the second half with her on, on the field, um, and and so the lineups that we see later today 
coupled with if England scores first, I think could could be the determination of who wins. Um, and it's not to say that neither team can come back from being a goal down. I think they're both uh, equipped to do that. I just I think psychology and, and just the way these these two teams play. I think if England scores first, they win. If the U.S. is able to score first, um, then then I you know I think they're going to go on to win. Uh, and, and that's kind of early earlier on in the game or late in the game kind of thing. If we're if we're looking at extra time or, or penalties, you know, it's a coin toss for me. I've did what's going to happen uh and and it wouldn't shock me at all if we saw extra time uh either uh if it was a, a nil nil or one one and goes to extra time and uh and then and then we see where it goes from there so it'll be interesting to see um and uh and and obviously we'll the, the world will be watching uh and uh and and i know all of england uh, will be watching um i, I want to ask you kind of a, a quick shift a, away from today's match what do you think about um europe using this women's uh national team tournament to uh decide who goes to play in the olympics uh daniel you could okay so i was i was asking uh what do you think um of europe using this tournament to decide which countries get to go play in the olympics yeah i saw um you know obviously i think they were talking about how much of a time could is you know it you know it kind of sucks for france and germany like i mean it's going to suck to have them in the olympics i mean i understand there's no time but you know i was trying to read up and whether there's another way to do it because it just makes the world cup that much more important right i mean the world cup's obviously you know the most important competition of a footballer's career but you know, to qualification Olympics, that's tough that you're not in the Olympics because now I think those teams don't get to qualify for anything until 2021 time. Yeah, they're 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 uh, they're sitting um, for a little while, and uh, I just it, it was so harsh that that French team is so good. The German program has been, yeah. uh, you know, a giant as well in the women's game. And to, to see that both of those uh, teams are, are not going to have any any opportunity to qualify or earn their way into the Olympics other than this World Cup, uh, the way things played out, it was just uh, unfortunate to me. Uh, and I don't know what they can do to, to change it uh, with scheduling and such, but uh, I definitely thought it was unfortunate. Um, my, my final question for you is, uh, is this, you, you have seen and, and obviously lived the game in England and you've seen and lived the game here in America. If you were in charge of American soccer for a day and you could do anything with your day in charge, what would you do to improve American soccer? We got, how long have we got? <laughs> uh... No, I think the whole the, the the club has got to change. I, I don't know what that is. Um, obviously, I've been a little bit removed from it with my role at the. Um, but just you see now in the DA, you know, it's a little bit watered down now. Um, so I would probably, I would probably look into changing that. To be honest, and I, I will say that I have just taken a US course, and you know, over the last six months, and it was brilliant. Um, course, I really, really learned a lot. And path in the US from the A license to the A license has been a you know a long journey, but 
I don't think I'd be the coach up today without, you know, that coaching pathway that I've had. Fantastic. Well, look, Sarah, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I know that uh, all eyes will be on uh, this uh, semifinal later today. Um, and then, obviously, we have the Sweden-Netherlands match um, tomorrow. Uh, who do you think wins in that one? Ooh, Netherlands for me. Yeah, me too. I like the way they play. Um, I, I've really enjoyed watching them in this tournament. Well, look, Sarah. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really do appreciate you spending some time with it, uh, with us, uh, and coming on the show. And uh, we look forward to having you back on again in the future. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. That is Sarah Loudon. She is the equipment manager with the University of Florida, and. Um, Really appreciate her spending some time with us and uh, sharing her insights into the game, her experiences in the game. And the one lesson, uh, I think above all lessons in listening to her talk is about pursuing and hustling and chasing your dreams, chasing your passions. Um, if you want something in life, it's something that matters, something that you really, really desire. Um, it's, it's, it's similar to a phrase I tell my kids all the time, dream big. But be willing to work harder. And, uh, and, and her, her pathway is a testament to that, and we can all learn from that. Um, our sponsor this half hour is Charity Water. You can learn more about Charity Water by going to charitywater.org. They dream big, 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 big dreams, and they work really hard around the world to provide clean drinking water to people all over the world. And you can be a part of that story at charitywater.org. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in this Tuesday morning. We will see what happens a little bit later today. England and the U.S. fade us off in today's semifinal. It'll be a fascinating match. Thanks for tuning in. As always, weekdays live at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch on DanielWorkman.com. Search for The Daniel Workman Show on Vimeo. You can find it there as well. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at Daniel Workman, Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. Thanks for tuning in. We will see everybody again tomorrow.